Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. Well, hey, if I were to ask you, what is the best gift, the most amazing gift you've ever received in your entire life? Uh, What might that gift be? And if I were to tell you or someone were to tell you, hey, you know what? I have a gift for you that's exponentially better than the best gift you've ever received. Would you be interested in such a gift? And if you were interested in such a gift, what might you be willing to do to receive that gift? And we're going to come back to that question in just a moment. But if you're new with us, we're walking through this amazing book in the Bible called Romans. And Romans is a letter to the church of Rome. It's written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Many believe it to be the most impactful, the most influential book in the entire New Testament for sure. Some believe in the entire Bible altogether. So it's an amazing book. And today we land in Romans chapter 5. We're going to be studying Romans chapter 5, verse 13 through 19. And this passage is what many scholars believe to be the most difficult text in the entire book of Romans. It's difficult in the sense because it forces us to take a significant look at sin, the ramifications of sin. It forces us to draw our attention to salvation. What is salvation? How can we experience salvation? And so it's an amazing, amazing book. And today we look at one of the most prolific passages in the entire book of Romans. So it's going to be a little bit technical, and I'll just be honest, it's kind of made my brain hurt this week. So um, hopefully you follow along. we got some notes that will help you follow along uh, and keep track of what, what Paul is laying out for us. Uh, I think this is valuable for every, every single believer. And honestly, I've wrestled with, in a room like this, is this content appropriate? Uh, because in a space like this, we have people in all different stages of their journey. Uh, some of you aren't even a Christ follower yet. You're just here because maybe a family member invited you and you love them. And so here you are. Uh, for some of you, you love God. You've loved God for years of your life. You have well-worn Bibles. And like, you, you know how to navigate Scripture. You understand Scripture. And, and we have people in all in between places of that space. And, and so for that reason, I wrestled with, man, is this appropriate for a Sunday? But I've landed on that it is. Uh, because I believe when we understand passages like this, it'll give us a, a fresh assurance of our salvation, which is critical, regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey. And so today we're going to, to look at, at Paul as he compares the first Adam with the second Adam. Theologically speaking, Jesus is the second Adam, the first Adam, first, first man ever to live. And, and, the, and his choices that he made, we looked at last week, have huge ramifications on our life and on our world as we know it today. In the same way, Jesus has huge ramifications on your life and our world as we know it today. Let's look at it first in Romans chapter 5, verse 14, just to get a, an idea of this. It says, Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So he's drawing this comparison. He's saying Adam's like this prototype of the one to come, of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see today that Paul's drawing, again, this comparison between the two, the first Adam and the second Adam. We see this comparison really not only in Romans chapter 5, but throughout Paul's writings, uh, probably most profoundly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, 45, it says this, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. He's saying, Adam did this, here's what happened, Jesus did this, and here's 
Here's what's happened. Again, this, this contrast between the two. And all that to say, in order for us to fully appreciate Jesus, to fully appreciate salvation, to fully appreciate what Christ has done for us, it's important for us to begin to understand Adam and what Adam did for us as well. And so by way of review, we're going to pick it up where we left off last week in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. And it says this. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin... And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Last week, we discovered three things from this passage, and, and really specifically three things from, from, the, from the first Adam in Genesis chapter 3, whenever sin entered the world. Uh, we learned first that sin invaded the world through one man. Why is the world the way it is? Why, why, why is there death? Why is there dying? Why disease? Why do bad things happen to good people? The short answer is because sin invaded the world through one man. Adam. And the consequences of that are horrific, not just for humanity, but for all, all the human race. Uh, why are there forest fires? Why are there earthquakes? If you've ever experienced the, the devastating effects of a hurricane, why does, why does a good God, a loving God, allow such things to happen in our world? And the short answer to that question is sin has invaded our world. And as Paul's going to write in Romans chapter 8, not only are we impacted by sin and the consequences thereof, but our world is, com is impacted by sin. In Romans chapter 8, Paul's going to write that the earth longs to be liberated from its bondage and decay, like the earth is currently groaning because it's trying to fulfill its original created purpose, but it can't fully because sin has invaded our world. And here, here's an interesting side note, just as the effects of sin increase in our world. Uh, the Bible talks about as we get closer to Jesus' returns, we get closer to the end times, there's going to be an increase of wickedness. The plague of sin on humanity is only going to get more and more grotesque. And I would submit to you the same things happening in our world. There's going to be more frequency of natural disasters. There's going to be, be a higher rate of, of hurricanes, of earthquakes, of, of, of bad things happening in our world. And all that is the result of this one action of one man. Sin has invaded our, our world. The second thing we learned is that not only does sin invade our world, but because sin has invaded our world, now death has entered our world through sin. Death unnatural. Uh, why do newborn babies die? As horrific as, why is that? How is that possible? They've not even made a mistake. Like they haven't, how is that possible? Because the effects of one man's sin, death has now entered enter our world. And not only that, but death came to all men because all have sinned. Because of Adam, because of his DNA being in us, we all have the seeds of death in us now. All of humanity was in Adam. Now the, the effects of Adam's one sin permeates our human existence. Let's look at this Romans next verse, Romans chapter 5, 13 through 14 says this, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted for where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. And so, so how, how do people experience this death? How does death reign? I mean, there's, from, from Adam to Moses, there was not the law, there was not the Ten Commandments. So how is sin a part of this equation? How do people experience death? And what Paul's going to point to is it's all because of Adam, one man's sin, now, now all die, all experience 
death, even though we have not transgressed like Adam did. Adam had a clear directive, don't eat from this tree. He ate from the tree and the consequences are, are, are evident. Uh, but we're not like that. So how does death, how does death reign? Well, it rains because we were in, we were in Adam. And how, what, what is death reigning? What does that even mean? We looked at last week that there are really three types of death. Uh, one's a physical death. We could define that as separated from the living. There's also a spiritual death that's separated from God. And there's also an eternal death separated from God and separated from the living forever. All three of those, death reigned. How? How is that even possible? Because of Adam, because of what Adam has done. And so from the time of Adam to Moses, even before the law, death was at work in humanity. And when it comes to salvation, remember the book of Romans is really all about salvation. How do we experience God's radical grace? How do we experience God's rescuing power? That's what it's primarily about. How can we be made right with God? And so how did death reign from Moses to, the, to Adam? Well, that's what Paul's addressing here. And, and what Paul is teaching us is that because the human race was in Adam, we were in Adam, and this is really, really important for us to grasp and honestly kind of hard for us to grasp, especially in our individualistic society. But what, what Paul's going to teach us is that when Adam sinned, we sinned. When Adam sinned, we were impacted by sin. It's in our DNA. The whole human race was in Adam, and therefore Adam's offspring are under the curse of Adam's, Adam's sin that he committed. And if people live long enough, sure, we'll, we'll commit our own sins. Like, we're pretty good at that. Uh, but it's really just piling on top of the sin that Adam, Adam committed. And part of what Scripture's teaching here is that because Adam sinned and we were in Adam, we too faced the consequences of Sin, And I know like, you're like, wait a minute, I don't, I'm not really sure. No, I don't know if sure I'm buying that one. Wait, listen, let's check it out. Romans 5.15, look at it. It says, it says, for the sin of one man, Adam, brought death to not just Adam, but many people. Not only that, for Adam's sin led to condemnation. Not just for Adam and Eve, but for all the human race. Uh, for sin... Uh, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over the many. Death now rules over. Why? Because of one man's sin, the sin of Adam. Uh, verse 18 goes on to say this. Yes, Adam's one sin brought condemnation to everyone. Wow. That's shocking. That's that's horrific. It, it's really a, a summary verse here. It says, because one person's disobedience disobeyed God, many became sinners. And so we're sinners not because we willfully rebel against God and sin in that way, although that certainly is sin, but we're, we're born sinners, this implies, that because of Adam, because of what Adam did, it's, it's in our nature. And again, I realize this is a hard truth. But those five examples seem to make it pretty clear that's what Paul's pointing to. And other passages certainly conclude the same thing. We're sinners because we're born sinners. So this passage, it teaches us a few things. If you're taking notes, this is where they begin. Uh, first, this passage gives us insight into the devastating nature of sin. If in our humanity, we tend to think of sin like on different levels, right? Like that's a really bad sin over there, but like this sin, that's ah, kind of minor, like, if you kill someone, like, that's bad. 
But if you gossip, eh, not so bad, right? If you, if you go and sleep around with a bunch of hookers, <laughs> not good. <laughs> if you have a lustful thought, eh, everybody does that, right? Okay, so we, we got it. We were, there's scales, right? We, we, we acknowledge this, right? Now, now think about it this way. Was Adam's sin, was it a big sin or a little sin? What did Adam do? My boy ate a piece of fruit. Okay, now if we were to categorize that, pleasing to the eyes, desirable for the flesh, looked good for gaining wisdom, checked all the boxes, big sin, little sin. I mean, he ate a piece of fruit. In my mind, that's a little sin. But I think that is the point. There's a distinction in the way that I look at sin, the way that you look at sin, the way that God looks at sin. Not the same. Sin is very serious to God. One man's offense brought all that destruction we just talked about. One man's sin ruined humanity forever. One man's sin ruined creation. And creation now longs to be liberated from the effects of one man's sin. Not a big sin. He ate a piece of fruit. Big sin, small sin, all sin is devastating to God. And furthermore, it just, it just forces me to think about this. Whenever Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just eradicate Adam's sin. He didn't just die for, for Adam eating a piece of fruit. Jesus, who was perfect, him who knew no sin, the Bible says, bore all our sin. If one sin, eating a piece of fruit, had that devastating effect on humanity and creation, how much more is your sin? How much more my sin? And not just one sin, but we're pretty good at that. And on the cross, Jesus bore the penalty for your sin. Imagine the weight of that. Imagine the, him who knew no sin now, now bearing the punishment for all your sin, all my sin. Shocking. Only in heaven will we truly begin to grasp what it meant for him to bear our sins on the cross. But it's worth us giving some time to meditate on that truth. Second thing this passage teaches us that it explains the world that we live in. We've talked about this briefly already. Why flooding? Why earthquakes? Why natural disasters? Short answer in one word. Sin. Why death? Why disease? Why cancer? Sin. This passage also teaches us, it produces in us rather, uh, hopefully a compassion for others. Hopefully this, this passage, it leads us to this place of compassion. Why? Because we've all been broken by the effects of sin. And so whenever I see sin in someone else, man, I also see sin in me. Here's a good question to think about. Based on your own personal experience, who's the greatest sinner you know? Based on personal experience, is me. Because I know what I've said. I know what I thought. I know what I did. When no one else was around, no one else was there to witness, I know how I responded in that moment. So based on my own personal experience, I'm the greatest sinner I know. You're the greatest sinner you know. 
And so because someone sins differently than you, hopefully we can look on them with the same level of compassion we look at ourselves and say, God, God's still a good God. God can still help you. He's still in the redemptive business. It should move us to this place of compassion because we've all been broken by sin. Fourth thing this passage encourages us with should motivate us to evangelism. And I would say especially world evangelism because there's no exceptions to the human sinfulness and the consequences of sin. All have sinned, regardless of country, regardless of culture. All have sinned, regardless of color of skin, regardless of language. All have sinned. People we love, people we interact with, people we've never met. And hopefully it moves us to this place of of compassion. That's why percentage of every dollar that comes into this space, we give back out into the mission field because we just believe that God's in the rescuing business and he is the hope of the world. Not just the hope, he's the only hope. The Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And how will they hear unless they go? How will they hear unless someone preaches? And how will they preach unless they're sent? And so part of our role is to embrace that reality. And this passage underscores that and puts an exclamation point on that. So with that as an introduction, let's dive in. Uh, Why don't we stand? Uh, Why don't we stand uh, for the reading of God's word and honor of God's word? I was interacting with someone who was fairly new to the church and I was like, hey, how's it going? What do you think? She's like, man, y'all take the word of God real serious. And I'm like, well, thanks. I think that's the best compliment I've ever got. Because I got a whole lot of thoughts and a whole lot of things and none of them matter uh, unless they're based in scripture. And so we always try to honor God's word. So let's stand in honor of God's word. The passage won't be on the screen. Fair warning. It's not because of anyone's issue besides mine. Uh, I did not get it in there early enough. So let's let's look at it though. Romans chapter 5 verse 15 through through 19. Uh, But the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so through the obedience of one man, many will be made righteous. This is the word of the Lord. Why don't you go give someone a high five, and then you can have a seat. So here's a good question. We've talked about the effects of sin. We've talked about the, the pervasiveness of the effects of sin, not only on humanity, but on our creation. So a good question for us to ask then is what did Jesus do for us? Like, what, is, what does that mean? What's salvation mean? Like, what, what did Jesus accomplish for us? And so that's what I want to spend the rest of our time looking at. Uh, the first thing that, that we that know Jesus accomplished for us, through Jesus, we have abundant restoration. 
Through Jesus, we have an abundant restoration. Now, throughout Romans chapter 5, Paul's been using words like much more, more than that, abundantly more. It, it indicates to us, not only in the past of scriptures we've read, but scriptures we're going to look today, that Paul is struggling as a communicator to find human language that can adequately articulate the abundance, the overtop awesomeness of what Jesus has accomplished for us. We're going to see those words over and over and over again. Let's look at it first, Romans chapter 5, verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of the, uh, by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound. Not just a little bit, but it abounds. It's like over the top, extravagant. It's overflowing. It's abounding to many. Verse 16, and the gift is not like the result of one man's sin. What, what Paul's saying is like compared to what Adam did, remember he's drawing this comparison. Adam sinned and man, it, it wrecked humanity and that's bad. But what Jesus did is not like that. What Jesus did, not only does it make a level playing field, but Jesus like goes above and beyond what Adam did. Like if, if, if Adam sinned and the consequences of sin now impact our life today, Jesus didn't just forgive our sin, but like he went above and beyond that. So much more, we're going to see how much more he's done for us. But if you were just to forgive us, wouldn't that be enough? Wouldn't that be enough to say, God, you're worthy of it all. But he's done so much, so much more. Let's look at this comparison. Here's what, what Adam has done. Adam brought sin, condemnation, and death. This is what Adam did. First time sin enters the picture, next thing we see is condemnation. This sense of I cannot be transparent with people around me or transparent with God. They go into hiding. They feel shame. They feel guilt. They feel regret. They feel condemnation. They've been cut off from God. Their relationship with God would never be the same. And the effects of that still impact humanity. We saw last week that, that Adam, first thing he did when, when he sinned, God comes talking to him. Hey, Adam, where are you? What happened? You ate from the tree, didn't you? It wasn't my fault, God. The woman made me do it. It's her fault. And that excuse still permeates our humanity today, by the way, ladies. So sorry. What's Eve's response, though? It's not my fault. The serpent made me do it. And we just make excuses because we feel condemned and we want to save, save face. Not only do we descend and then condemnation, but there's also death. We talked about those three types of death already. And so this is what Adam did, but what did Jesus do? He's drawn this comparison. Here's what Jesus has done for us. Christ's obedience resulted in justification and also resulted in life. Adam, disobedience. Jesus, perfect obedience. Adam brought condemnation. Jesus brings justification. Adam's life resulted, his actions resulted in death. Jesus' actions result in life. And so two different reigns. There's the reign of Adam, and then there's the reign of the second Adam. And we get to choose which reign, which regime we're going to serve. Every day people get to make that choice. And today we get to make that choice as well. Adam brought Physical death, Jesus brings resurrection to our physical broken bodies. Adam brought spiritual death, Jesus brings spiritual life, restoration, reconciliation. Adam brought eternal death, Jesus provides a path 
for you and I to experience eternal life. And Jesus doesn't cancel out Adam's sin, although that would be enough. Jesus goes way beyond that. Let's look at it again, verse 15. But there was a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Now, here, here, here's something to think about. Whenever, before Adam sinned, whose righteousness did he have? He had his own righteousness. He'd never sinned. So that gave him right standing with God, an unhindered relationship there. But what, what righteousness do you have? What righteousness do I have? Praise God, it's not my own. Because we've already acknowledged we're pretty good at sinning. We're pretty good at blowing it. But, but part of salvation, God doesn't just forgive your sin. He now clothes you in the righteousness of Christ. He gives you a righteousness, not your own. So Adam had this beautiful relationship with God based on his own righteousness. But you and I have a much greater righteousness and abundant righteousness. Because we don't have our own. We don't have Adam's. We have the righteousness of Christ. Let's look at it. Verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Here's a good question, just logically speaking. If one sin brought judgment and condemnation, what would the result of many sins be? All right, let's put it this way. If, if I rob one bank, I, I'm not like a criminal, by the way. I know I've mentioned hookers and robbing banks today, but that's just where we are. All right. So I rob a bank here in Willow Glen. All right. That's bad. Right. And there's consequences for that. And there's penalties for that. There's punishment that I get because I did that. But if I rob a bank in Willow Glen, then I rob a bank in Sacramento, and then I go to Tahoe, and then I go to Nevada, and then, then I go down to New Mexico, and then I cross the international border and go into Mexico on this bank robbing spree, so not one violation, but many, what's the result of my actions? Greater, right? What'd you say? Life. Yeah, there you go. So, so here's the question. If Adam's sin, one sin brought condemnation and penalty, what about all the sins you've stacked on top of Adam? And here's what Paul's going to say in the next set of verses. Were sin increased? grace increased. Where sin abounded, grace abounded. He delivers to you an abundance of restoration. We who are worthy of death, we who have blown it time and time again, now reconciled, now brought to the same exact point, now not on our own righteousness, not only forgiven our sin, but we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. How great of a restoration do you and I get to experience because of what Jesus has done for you? Through Jesus, we have an abundant restoration. Not only that, through Jesus, we have an abundant righteousness. Verse 15 and 19. Therefore, just as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness. Think about this. So, so Adam's one trespass led to, to condemnation. Here's a question. How long do you think it took for one trespass? Like Adam, like maybe a minute to eat the fruit. Maybe he talked it over with Eve. Maybe five minutes. 
maybe 10 minutes. So one act that took maybe a minute, maybe five minutes, maybe 10 minutes led to condemnation for all men. It says one righteous act leads to justification. What's the one righteous act? One act of righteousness. Some would say the cross, and I think that's the climax of it for sure. But I would submit to you it's his life. For 33 years, he never sinned. For 33 years, he was tempted in every way just as you are, just as I am, yet never sinned. 33 years, never thought an inappropriate thought. 33 years, never acted out of accordance to God's will. For 33 years, never said a word that would discredit God's name. And he was a carpenter. Like, I, when I work with my hands, like, it makes a preacher want to cuss. But Jesus, he never sinned, right? If he did, the cross is meaningless. If he did, sacrifice insufficient. If he did, you're still stuck in your sin. I'm still stuck in my sin. The penalty, the, the payment for sin, insufficient funds. But for 33 years, one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. But by one man's obedience, time and time and time and time again, the many will be made righteous. You have an abundant righteousness not because of what you've done, not because you've earned it, not because you've lived a righteous life. You have an abundance of righteousness because of what he's done. He, he uses this word, one man's act of righteousness leads to justification. And we keep coming back to this word justification because Paul keeps coming back to this word justification. I think Paul's onto something because he knew the church in Rome would have a hard time wrapping their head around this. Now I think he knows that you and I, we have a hard time embracing this. I think we have a hard time digesting this for ourselves. I'm happy to think that, yes, God has justified Melissa. I'm happy to think and know that God has justified Mario. He's justified Steve. He's justified Bill. He's justified Roger. He's justified Raul. But sometimes when I think, God, you justified Tim? I don't know. Because I still feel the weight of that. But here's what justification is. Here's the definition we've been talking through. Justification is the act of God whereby he forgives the unsaved person's sin. And that's not all. And he also clothes them in the righteousness of Christ. And all that's yours when through faith you believe. You believe. He forgives the unsaved person's sins. Think of it. All your sins, the sin of Adam, all the sins that you piled on top of that, erased removed. The Bible would say as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your sin and transgressions from you, like, like God's not bringing it up. He's erased it. Why do we keep bringing it up? Like if he's forgiven us, maybe we can forgive ourselves. But there's more. Not only does he forgive us, but he clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. How many of you know you can forgive someone and not have right standing with them? I can forgive someone, but that doesn't mean like we're going to go out to dinner. But God, in his goodness, not only forgives us, but he gives us right standing. Paul used the words last week. He, he makes us friends with God. 
He's reconciled us. He's adopted us. We're family. He's clothed us in the righteousness of Christ. And the reason, I think Paul keeps coming back to this, the reason I keep coming back to this is because I think this is a prevailing problem in Christians. Many of you come into a place like this, you say, man, I would worship, but I really screwed up this week. I got this issue and I need help. I need, I need God's divine intervention, but why would God listen to me after what I've done? I would come up for prayer at the end of service, but I'm not sure God would answer that because I've really blown it. Listen, you've been forgiven. Listen, let it go. Confess your sins, talk to God, and he's forgiven it. Not only has he forgiven it, when he sees you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. How perfect was Christ's righteousness? If there's a fault, then you have concern. If he lived a perfect life and he died a, a substitutional death, a sacrificial death in your place, then now you have perfect righteousness. This teaches us that not only do we have an abundant restoration, but we have an abundant righteousness. So now God's kids, you, followers of Jesus, can come boldly to the throne of grace, not because you've gone a week without sinning, but because he's forgiven your sins because he's clothed you in the righteousness of Christ. And just as he would respond to his son, Jesus, he now wants to respond to you, to me in that same way. Amazing, amazing. Through Jesus, we have an abundant righteousness and, and it has nothing to do with what you've done, nothing to do with I've done, but with everything that what Jesus has done. Uh, Romans 5.18, for by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. I piled on a heap of sin on top of Adam's sin. But the good news is your story doesn't have to end there. So by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Listen, you have an abundant restoration. You have an abundant righteousness. And the third and final point is you have an abundant reign. An abundant reign. Not like it is outside, but R-E-I-G-N, reign. And this is so exciting to me. Look at this, Romans 5.17 if because of one man's trust path, death reigned, death reigned through that one man. In other words, every time you, you, you go to a funeral, it's a painful reminder that death now reigns. Every time you drive past a graveyard, it's a vivid reminder that death currently reigns. Every time you turn on the news, you get a reminder that death reigns. Every time we're with loved ones on their deathbed, and we see them about to take their last breath. It's a vivid reminder that we never forget that death reigns. But verse 17 goes on to say this. So death reigns through the one man much more. If that's true, we got an abundant more, an over-the-top amount more. Will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life? Through that one man, Jesus Christ. Because of Adam, death reigned. But because of Jesus, because of the abundant restoration, because of his abundance of righteousness, he, he gives us now, now he gives us this ability to reign with him in life. To experience a new regime. We're no longer reigned under death. We're now reigned under this governance that results in life. Part of that is here and now. Paul talks about this, Ephesians 2, 5 and 6. 
He says, talking about God, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him. And so just as in Adam, all sin. So as in Christ, uh, we're in him, we can experience this, this new life. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul's writing this in current tense. If you're a follower of Jesus, what's happened for Jesus has now happened for you. Jesus now reigning in heaven and, and Paul's saying like, you're, you're there, you're seated with him. And there's gonna come a day when this spiritual reality will be realized in a physical, physical capacity. Colossians 3, one through four says, since then you have been raised with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. Present tense, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Watch this, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Grasp this, this is, this is fundamental to salvation. One of the first passages I ever memorized was Galatians 6.14, where it says, 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 may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world's been crucified to me and I've been crucified to the world because I just needed this reminder that the old Tim used to act that way, but that old Tim has been crucified and I don't have to behave that way anymore. I don't have to live under that, that regime anymore. That old Tim's died. Now I'm, I'm new in Christ. And so I can live life empowered by his spirit according to what he desires for me. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ. Look at this, in God. Christ in God. Your, your life's hidden with him. You're in Christ. 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. Um, many scholars believe that the book of 2 Timothy was penned minutes or maybe hours before the Apostle Paul would be executed. And so he certainly has eternity on his mind. He has those closest to him on his mind. And with that, he pins this letter to a young pastor named Timothy, who's been his apprentice. He's been, been his, his mentee. And he, he writes this. He says, this is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. Reign. If we deny him, he will not deny us. If we are unfaithful, he will remain faithful for he cannot deny himself. Paul, at this brink of his life, he's realizing, man, I'm about to experience what I've always longed for. I'm in Christ, therefore I'll reign with him. I'm not gonna deny him, even if it costs me my life. He would go on to say this in chapter four, verse seven, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me, look at this, a crown of righteousness, a crown of righteousness. It indicates this, this, this leadership role, this, this, uh, what, 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 kind of, um, what kind of people wear crowns, like people who are reigning over, over something. We hear whispers of this throughout the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 6.3, Paul says, do you not know that you'll judge angels? He's addressing church issues in the church. There's conflict and they can't figure out, they can't make a judgment on what's going on. And he's like, hey, boys, girls, check it out. <laughs> One day you're going to reign and judge angels, spirit beings who are much more powerful than you currently are. So why can't you figure out earthly matters? Because one day you're going to be in charge of heavenly matters. You're going to judge angels. You have an abundant an abundant rain. 
Let me give you a couple more scriptures because likely this might be the first time some of you are hearing something like this, and that's what we just want to support uh, where, where it's coming from. Um, so you don't write me off as a heretic. That would be great. Um, throughout Revelation, Jesus is described as the king of kings. And if the world, as we know it, has changed, the authorities of the world are no more, then who are the kings? If he's the, the king of kings, who are the other kings? I would suggest it's you. I would suggest it's, it's us. It's people who have been rescued. Once condemned by sin, once sentenced to death, now justified, now forgiven, now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Not only that, he goes above and beyond that. He gives us this reign with him. You say, where are you getting that stuff? And that's a good question. Glad you asked. Here it is, Revelation 1, 5 through 6. To him who loved us and washed us, washed us from our sin in his own blood. Look at this. And made, has made us kings who rule, who reign, and priests who serve and minister. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Revelation 3, 21. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat with my father on his throne. If that's not the image of reigning with him, I don't know what it is. Revelation chapter 5, it's this image of God's throne room. And in God's throne room, there's like these powerful angelic beings, these creatures that are very foreign to our current experience. Uh, powerful angels. There's, there's billions and billions of people from every nation, every tribe, every language. Like, can you imagine this? All around this throne, worshiping God. Like, it's going to be amazing. I don't know what you've heard about heaven, but it's not on the cloud with the heart because that sounds like hell to me. But, but heaven <laughs> is going to be awesome, an awesome experience. And here's what, what they're singing around, around the throne, Revelation 5. 9 through 10, and they sang a new song to him. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us, redeemed us to God by your own blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on earth. Think of this. What happened to the first Adam? His first task was to reign, to rule, and he blew it. He sinned, and, and everything else rippled out of that. Death through sin, destruction of our world, humanity tainted, sin and now embedded in us, death now embedded in us, seeds of death embedded in us. But God, he not only brings abundant restoration, he not only ushers to you an abundant righteousness, but he restores order back to the original creation, where now we, once fallen people, restored to reign with him, to rule with him, to serve the king of all kings, and to worship him for all eternity. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I was studying this, and I was like, God, are you for real? Like, this is crazy. Like, God, you're way too good. Because I know I don't deserve any of it. We who are once sinners, cut off from God, worthy of eternal death in hell forever, now restored to God. We who are once enemies of God, now adopted into the family of God. We who are once condemned, now friends of God. We who are once weak and badly broken by sin, 
soon to reign with God? How's that possible? Only through Jesus. Only through Jesus. And who's that that gets to experience that? Who's that that gets to experience that restoration? Who gets to experience that righteousness? Who gets to experience that abundant reign? Romans 5, 17. Much more will those who receive the abundant, abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life with the one man, Christ Jesus. How do you experience that? We got to receive this free gift. It's a gift, man, exponentially better than the best gift we've ever experienced. I think, man, one second in heaven, I'm just imagining we're going to be speechless for about a thousand years whenever we realize this gift that we've received, this gift that God desires to give you. The gift's for you, the gift's for me. My question is, have you received that gift? And if you haven't received that gift, what might you be willing to do to take hold of that, to grasp that, to experience that gift? The beauty of the gospel is you don't really have to do anything. Jesus did it all. You take hold of it by faith. Paul would say we're saved by grace through faith. And really even that's not, a, not of yourself. So I just believe in a moment like this that God's speaking, that God's working. Some of you, I believe he's reaching out to you, saying, man, I long to extend my goodness in your life. I long to bring restoration to those broken areas of your life. I long to clothe you in my righteousness. I long to reign and rule with you forever because he loves you that much. But you got to receive him. And we don't just receive him as like a religious practice. No, we recognize who he is. He's the king of all kings. And we bow our knee to that. Say, God, whatever you want, you're the king. You call the shots, but I'm all in. If you want to go all in with him today, Paul would write this in Romans 10, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then you can be saved. You can experience that. You can receive him. But you've got to reach out. You've got to talk to God. I'd love to lead you there. So in your own words, in your own time, I invite you to pray. And that just simply means talking to God. So let's do that right now, right where you are. Let's pray.